We are excited to introduce to you Prophetic Edge, where we are going to be digging into the revelation of God's Word and what it looks like to walk in victory through the Word of God. Whenever God is ready to move in Scripture and bring victory to people, He always brings a fresh edge of revelation. chapter 3 verse 1 a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shoganoth that word Shoganoth is amazing because the place where he was speaking from do you know what the name of the place means it means aberration but it means more than that it means the name of the place meant to real to be intoxicated, to be thrown off center, to be confused or out of order. So the place where the prophet spoke peace from, the place where the prophet sung a song of peace, the place where the prophet brought the word of God was the place called confusion, intoxication, instability. See, God is not asking you to be stable when the world is stable. He's asking you to understand that he's going to put you in a place of instability. He's going to sit you in the middle of people arguing about politics. He's going to put you in the middle of a bad report from the doctor. He's going to let you stand in the middle of an empty bank account. And in the middle of everything going wrong, God says, now let me hear what you're saying. Let me see what you prophesy. Because the prophet prayed a prayer in the place called instability. In the place called crazy, can you talk sense? In the place of fear, can you speak faith? When everybody else is losing their mind, can you talk like you've got a right mind? The test for the prophetic anointing, the test for maturity is not what you say when you're surrounded by other believers, but it's what you say when the whole world goes upside down. It's what you say when the money runs out. It's what you say when you get that last report that says your health is going down. It's what you say when your kids don't want to obey God. What do you say in the place of crazy? In a place called crazy, God is telling you to talk like you've got good sense. Now hear me. I want to take us on a prophetic journey because last night I was teaching a lot of the principles and the abstract notion of where we're going. I want to teach particulars today. I want to talk about particular things that God has spoken. One of the specific things that the Lord said to me as looking at this word is that we are in a season now where we must understand that the world is going to be the opposite of where the church is supposed to be. So the last few years, there has been a test that has come upon the people of God. 
And many of us did not pass this test because we are always in the kingdom of God. The kingdom will always speak the opposite of the world. When the world says they hate you, hate them back, he says repay love for hatred. If they misuse you, don't misuse them, but pray for them. When they abuse you, do good to them. So the spirit of the kingdom is the opposite spirit of the age. If everybody else is greedy, God is looking for you to be a blesser. If everybody else is lying, God is looking for you to speak truth. You must come in the opposite spirit. So say this with me. The kingdom of God moves in reverse. Whatever the world is moving toward, God is moving in the opposite direction. The kingdom is always moving in the different movement or different direction than the world. The world is saying the only way to prosper is to take what you want. In the kingdom, he says the only way to prosper is to give away what you have. The opposite spirit. The world says the only way to be blessed is to fight for what's yours. In the kingdom, the only way to be blessed is to give away what you need. In the world, we destroy anyone who tries to destroy us. In the kingdom, we find a way to bless them that have done us evil. It's the opposite spirit. Now, the only way to grow in the kingdom is you have to be committed to moving in the opposite spirit before it produces for you. See, the kingdom doesn't produce overnight. I want you to hear that. The world promises quick riches. The kingdom promises eternal fruit. So in the kingdom, while they're mistreating you and you're seeing them prosper, that's why the Lord said to David, do not be amazed at the riches of the wicked. For they prosper in a season, and then their wickedness, their riches are gone. But look now at the righteous man and see that his children and his children's children. So the blessing of the righteous lives longer than the blessing of the wicked. But if you are focused on momentary passing away gold, things that can be handled by hands. If you're focused on incidental, inconsequential stuff that you think you need at that moment, you'll be distracted from your kingdom mindset because you'll look and say, look, they got a house and I'm trusting God living in an apartment. They driving three cars and I'm still trying to make this hoopty make it down the street. And you get distracted because you forget that God is working on the seed you've sown. So if you misunderstand how the kingdom operates, you get out of season because you're looking for God to pay you today. When God says, uh-uh, I'm going to work on your seed. So until you put some seed in the ground, you don't have the right to look for a harvest. In the kingdom, you have no right to ask God for something you're not willing to give away. Woo! Now, this is bigger than money. Don't get stuck on money. Every time I say seed, I see some of y'all like, ooh, he's talking about money. No, everything in the kingdom is a seed. 
Love is a seed. Forgiveness is a seed. Blessing is a seed. Servanthood is a seed. Everything is a seed. So everything in the kingdom is you sowing into your future. Every act of obedience is a seed. That's why the Bible says, understand this, seed time and harvest, since God created the earth, seed time and harvest shall not pass away. Everything in the kingdom of God operates on seed time, which means until you sow something, you cannot reap something. I'm amazed at how many believers sit around talking about what they're believing God to give them in their future. But when you look at their past, they've never let anything fall from their hand. You have no right to a harvest if you've never released seed. Now, that gives you a different perspective. That means you rejoice when you see rain. I'm going to talk for a minute. That means when everybody else is complaining about the rain, complaining about the tears, complaining about the trouble. I celebrate the days that made me cry. I celebrate the nights I had to sit up and pray. I celebrate the seasons I had to weep all night. I celebrate the days I had to lay on my face. Why? Because rain only matters if you got seed in the ground. Oh, and I'm so glad for the nights when I wept all night because I got seed in the ground. I'm glad for the days I had to cry all night because I got seed in the ground. When everybody else is trying to stop the tears, whatever brings the tears to my eyes, he that goes forth sowing precious seed shall come again. Ah, but you've left off part of the verse. You got to go out weeping. The Bible says they go out weeping and sowing. Some of y'all want to sow, but you don't want to weep. But every time I sow, my tears saturate the ground of my seed so that God can give me a harvest quicker. Tears speed up your harvest. Oh, some of you don't understand all those nights you have refused to cry. You stop in your own harvest. That's why Jeremiah said that my head were waters and my eyes were fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain, the daughter of my people. Why, if nobody else is crying, I need to intercede. Intercession speeds up the miracle of breakthrough. So if I can't get nobody to pray with me, I'll weep while I pray because my tears are going to unlock what my work could not bring me. Oh, I don't know where the weeping intercessors are, but some of y'all know what it means to cry until God answers. Don't be ashamed of your tears. Don't be ashamed of the nights where you had to pray through. Don't be ashamed of the days when you sang a praise to God and you sang while your tears were wet. Don't be ashamed of having to say, God, I trust you while you had to weep in your cereal in the morning and soak your pillow at night while you slept. Don't be ashamed of the days when you understood that I'm going to pray my way through and cry my way out. But I'm going to give it all to God. My tears belong to God just as much as my praise. Oh, yes. My praise is his, but so is my tears. And whichever he's after, he can have it all liberally. 
I'm going to cry until, weep until, shout until, because whatever it takes to get this breakthrough, I don't want to be here one day longer than I need to. I don't want to be in this storm. I don't want to be in this battle. I don't want to be in this mess one day longer. So if you need tears to speed up my harvest, tears you can have. I want to say to some of you, the reason you never really get fully broken through is because you're too proud to cry. Your pride has got you stuck. You're so busy telling people that you're free, you never got free. Some freedom don't come until you lay it out on your face with God alone. And you got to soak your carpet cry into your pillow and tell God, I'm not getting up till I'm free. I'm not moving till this thing is broken. I don't need to impress nobody. I'm not trying to get folk to like me. I need to be free for real. Because there's a level of freedom that you and you alone know if you're free. Only God knows when he hears you open your mouth if you're fully free. And we've been almost free so long that almost has satisfied us. God said, I need a prophet who will pray in a place of instability. When the whole world is going the wrong direction, will you stand here? When the whole world treats God cheap, will you worship with everything you got? When the whole world says it don't take all that, will you empty your heart your bank account, your mind, your strength? Will you give God whatever he's after? Will you give him everything? See, there comes a moment when you have to decide, I will give God everything. I'll hold nothing back. I'm going to ask you this, and then I'm going to go on. When is the last time you gave God everything? Everything. I'm not talking about at Calvary years ago when you got saved and you stumbled into him and he grabbed you up out your sin and you woke up thankful that you ain't going to hell no more. I'm not talking about the life insurance policy. I'm talking about when is the last time since that day did you make a quality decision between you and God? Today, I double down and I give you everything again. When is the last time you laid before God and said, whatever you want in me, you can have it? When is the last time you and God had a conversation where you said to him, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me? Not my neighbor, not discerning somebody from another church, not sitting in the audience trying to figure out why the worship team or the prayer team or the ushers ain't anointed this week. Like we love to do in church. <laughs> don't, don't we do it, Candace? <laughs> but when is the last time you stopped and looked in your mirror and said, God, this ain't between nobody else but me and you? And I need my heart to be fully yielded to you. So I need you to show me, is there anything in me that's keeping me from walking out my destiny in you? This is a personal thing, Jesus. I need you to talk to me about me. 
When is the last time you had that conversation? When is the last time your prophetic gift worked on you? I'm so tired of all these prophets. As soon as we get in church, you standing in the corner trying to discern somebody else. You couldn't discern you before you got to church? You couldn't discern that your spirit is nasty, you jacked up, you was mad before you left your house, you had an attitude on the freeway, in the parking lot, you was figuring out five folks you wanted to do wrong to before you left today. You had all that in your mind. You'd already decided who you wasn't going to speak to, who you're going to look at crazy, who you're not going to hand the communion to the right way, who you're not going to hug, who you're going to see in the fellowship hall and look at him and keep walking. You figured all that out. But you couldn't discern that you got an issue? But you the first one that want to prophesy. Sit your behind down. <laughs> because we have forgotten that the test of the prophetic is not what they can say to another. It's what they can hear for themselves. And Isaiah was in the temple on the Lord's day in the year that King Uzziah had died. And I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And I saw the post of the temple began to shake thereof and the glory of God began to fill the house. And as I saw the glory, I heard angels beginning to declare one to another, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And as he declared to himself, he said, who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, send me. He finally recognized himself in the presence of God. And the first revelation he had, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. He didn't talk about the people first. He talked about himself. I am unclean. If you cannot recognize your own situation in the presence of God, you have no legal authority to prophesy to the nation. You don't get to talk about the generation. You don't get to talk about the city. If you have not first admitted to God, my lips are dirty. I'm talking crazy and thinking wrong. And before you send me to people, sanctify me. I need my mind right. I'm not thinking right. I'm thinking like the news. I'm thinking like politics. I'm thinking like my family. I'm thinking like the culture. I'm thinking like my denomination. I need to think like you, Jesus. Sanctify me. God, you want to send me to the nations. You want to send me to my city. You want to send me to my generation. But my lips cannot bring revival until my lips are made holy again. I've been beating up on people. I've been talking against them. I've been dividing families and churches based on how they voted and who they stand for. God, that ain't your will. Your lips bring
bring nations together. Your tongue heals a generation. By your lips, you healed 40 and two generations. So Jesus, before I open my mouth again, sanctify me. Before I tweet one more thing, before I post one more thing, before I put another thing on Facebook, sanctify me. You want to heal nations, and I'm trying to get people to like me. Sanctify me. We are in the hour where this is an old word. And so I'm going to have to say this. This is not a religious mindset. This is a kingdom mindset. We are in an hour where we've got to bring the word back to the house of God. Sanctification. Sanctification is not a religious mindset. It is not whether or not the length of your dress is three inches longer than somebody else. But a few of you add another inch. Just add another inch. Just, Lord have mercy. Every time the wind blows, we can see your future. Add an inch to that dress. This ain't about being religious. This is just about being wise. <laughs> and for all of y'all sitting out there, some of my brothers going, that's right. Tell them, sister, uh-uh. Some of y'all wearing pants so tight, we can figure out where you were born and who you belong to. That ain't God either. Your pants ain't supposed to be that tight. You ain't supposed to be up in God's pe- in front of God's people and we can see what culture you came from. Let's stop being stupid. And let me say this, and I repent to you that we as leaders have let you go this long without saying something. Because in our desire not to offend anybody, we have not brought any boundaries to the house of God. So we did not bring sanctification. Sanctification doesn't mean I'm trying to be better than anybody else. Sanctification means I'm choosing to be stronger than where I used to be. So where I used to be comfortable in sin, now that Jesus is working on me, every year I examine myself and go, have I grown from where I used to be? Sanctification means I'm set apart for God. You cannot expect the power of God to flow through your lips, your hands, and your life when you refuse to change anything that you came out of. It's a choice. It's a simple choice. What does it mean? Some of you, when you got a job working at the company where you work at now, the first thing they told you was they expected you to, they have what they call a work clause or a morals clause. In other words, if you put something on social media that's just outrageous and immoral, you can be fired from your job. They say to you, whatever you do in your private life is fine, but if you come to a work function, don't have your clothes up to your uh-uh and your stuff so tight that it's ooh-hoo. <laughs> now, I want you to think about that. We have no issue following a secular boundary. Yes. Come on, 
so that we can all look like we belong for a company that's worth working for. But you are now part of the greatest kingdom in the history of the universe, given power that can change the world. You've got more authority in you than devils have ever handled. And at the very mention of somebody saying, could you maybe think about what you're wearing? Oh, I know I'm making some folk mad, but I mean to make you mad. We react as though somebody has stolen our puppy and kicked our cat. Why? Because we have learned to live in his presence without boundaries. The Bible calls that lasciviousness. Living like you want to live without any regard to his truth. Now, I'm not talking about being religious. I'm saying the simplicity of ask yourself, have I changed or am I the same just talking new language? I know you weren't ready for this today, but we got to dig in here. Lord have mercy. I'm going to be quick because we got food next door. They tell me we got, we got food waiting and I walked through and saw some of it. So uh, I know there's some rice over there. There's some rice. I saw some rice. Deborah brought rice in. I, I like rice. Rice is good. <laughs> now I want to just touch on this real quick. Look at chapter three. He says three things that I want to throw out and then we're going to wrap this up. When I was talking about this yesterday, this thing is amazing to me. Habakkuk, his name means to embrace. His name means to fold or to embrace. So I want you to think about that. God is speaking through a prophet to a nation. And he's speaking to them at a time when they feel like God has let them go. But he's speaking through a man whose name means to embrace you. So God sends a man whose very name means to be held again, to be embraced. His name and his mission was to embrace the generation. I believe that's where we are. We're in a moment in time where God is raising up ministry and ministers to embrace a generation that's never been fathered. We've got a generation that's never been held. They weren't held by mothers and given blessing and comfort and they weren't held by fathers and given identity and respect so they have grown up to believe that they have never been protected when you hold a child you are teaching a child that they are not only loved but they are protected for whenever some noise happens that startles a child it is the embrace of a parent that brings them comfort they are encircled that's why when a child is born they are small you swaddle the child you wrap them tightly so that they have the sensation again of being in the womb. It is to embrace them. So it is when you come into the presence of God. The very idea in God's presence is to be embraced. The presence of God is the moment when you feel what you felt in heaven before you were born. For you came from him. You were somewhere before you got here. <laughs> Eternal beings 
have an existence that started before they hit the earth. So you were in God. That's what the Bible says. So all y'all looking at me strange, get your Bible and read. The Bible says before you came into the earth, you existed in God. So God had you in himself. You sat in the womb of the Almighty. You sat in the womb of time itself. Inside of creation and the creator of creation, God wrapped you up in his very essence, held you in his word, and you were sitting inside the worship before worship had music. So sitting inside of God, God let you know his presence. So God, after you sat in him for eternity, God says, now I shall let this one be breathed out by my mouth. I shall breathe them into creation. As I breathe them into creation, they will have a hunger for my presence that when they return to me, it will satisfy the need for an embrace. So all your life, you have felt uncovered. When you couldn't feel like your family embraced you enough and wrapped you up, when you didn't feel the safety of friends, you went to drugs. When drugs didn't make you comfortable, you climbed up in somebody's bed. When that didn't work, you went to the wrong stuff. You got into pornography. If pornography didn't work, you bought stuff and you spent all your money on looking good and looking. When that didn't work, you surrounded yourself with people who just told you you're awesome and you're great. If that didn't work, you got drunk to wake up and drunk to go to bed. Everything you did in life was to Embrace you so you felt covered because you existed for an eternity inside of the presence of God. And when you were born into the earth, you were inundated by sin and rebellion and fear, so suddenly your existence felt uncovered. So all your life, you were looking for somebody cover me, somebody surround me, somebody make me feel connected. <coughs> and then, and then, Jesus came. And Jesus meets you with his arms open wide. And he says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will embrace you. So now that you are being embraced, the Habakkuk of the new covenant is Jesus. The Habakkuk of the old covenant, his name means to embrace. The Habakkuk of the new covenant is Jesus, the one who embraces. Jesus fulfills every prophet. Every prophet was a representation of Christ. Oh, that's another teaching for another day. Every prophet was a revelation of Christ. Elijah represented the power of God that manifested the word of God. Jeremiah represented the heart of God that wept for a nation. Daniel represented the mind of Christ that would be smarter than all the other nations before him. That's why he saw all the nations in this great standing tower of nations. And here comes Jesus through 40 and two generations who is the end of every other national power. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Every prophet revealed Jesus. So Jesus, the Habakkuk of the new covenant, 
who shows up in a place of instability, Calvary, who sings a song all the way to his death. Not my will, but thy will, O God. Not my will, but thy will, O God. He sang a song all the way to his destruction. He then prays a prayer in the garden before they come to get him. It's Habakkuk all over again. And what does he reveal to us? That I'm doing everything I'm doing to embrace you. Oh, Israel, how often would I have gathered you to myself like a hen would gather her brood? I would have covered you. I would have embraced you like a chicken sitting over her chicklets. I would have covered you. It's the embrace of God all over again. We are a generation that God is calling us to embrace the generation that has not been fathered. I believe this year is the year of God's embrace. Habakkuk's name, to embrace. The word 5783 is to make bare. And oh, we could teach on this, but we're going to have to jump. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 9.10. Let's go to what the Greek word is. Then I'm going to release you. Oh, God is in this place. Do you feel it moving? Woo-wee. 2 Corinthians 9. Now, the Hebrew word for this year, the word, the, the, excuse me, the Hebrew word, is to make bare. But the Greek word, I love this word, epikorogio, epikorogio. I love that word. Epikorogio, such a good word. And the word means to minister. I know you're waiting for, for deeper stuff, but I'm just going to stay right there. The Greek word for this year is to minister. To minister. The word for this year is this year you have to minister. Last year it was ministering. It was pouring out. This year it's to minister. Now, this word for minister is unique. It shows up five times in the New Testament. It literally means, look at um, 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. Now, he that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Now, that word ministereth, that word literally means to furnish besides, to fully supply, to add nourishment, to minister what is missing. So the word ministereth, it means to give what was missing. See, the word last year when we looked at ministry, it simply meant to do what God's will was. But ministereth means I am pouring out what they're lacking. It means I have weighed their needs, seen what they're missing, and I am making a quality decision to give them what they're missing so that they can become mature. 
Now, I want to talk about this just for a minute. This word shows up five times in the New Testament. The first time it shows up, and write this down. The first time it shows up, it's God is declaring he that gives seed to the sower. So the first thing that God is ministering, the first three times this shows up, it's God ministering to you. I want you to hear that. See, last year when we talked about the word minister, that's why some of you are going, well, didn't we already touch on this? No, because last year the word ministry had to do with you ministering to another. We pour out oil and wine into those who are broken. Y'all remember that? Okay. This year, it's not about you ministering. It's about God ministering. When these verses show up, it's talking about God ministering. Let's go back to verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. As it is written, he that dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. So God is revealing something to us that if you have committed to pouring life into others, God is now committing. What you are missing, heaven will supply. So my question for you, which changes your life? What you can do or what God can do? Ah. So this passage is revelatory because it's so simple. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. We know that, but we forget something. That you having always all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So God says, I'm committed to giving you what you need if you're committed to doing the work. See, what we forget is God does not give you everything you need if you're going to waste it on you. But if you're committed to the work, helping the poor, taking care of the broken, making sure those who have no parents, those who are widows, those who have been left on their own, if we are committed to helping those in need, God says, I'm committed to giving you what you need if you're committed to taking care of them. Now, if this is just another show about you, God said, I'll let you figure it out on your own. But if you're committed to helping somebody else, I commit. Heaven commits to blessing you. So the first thing that God says he's going to minister is there is seed for the sower. <laughs> I'm just going to stop right there for a moment. This year is a year of seed for the sower. What does that mean? Now, I want to touch on that just quickly. When God gives you seed for the sower, you cannot ever step into a harvest if you don't recognize if what you have is not big enough for your harvest, then it's big enough for seed. If it's not big enough to meet your need, then it's big enough to be seed. Now, while some of you are figuring that out, let me tell you this. One of the things that changed my life was I was asking the Lord years ago, I said, Lord, 
this is how much I need for that breakthrough. And when the time came that I needed it, I said, Lord, I was believing you. You haven't supplied. And the Lord said, how much do you have? And I told him, I said, well, you know. He says, I do, but tell me. And I told him how much I had. I went to church later that night. I was in a service in Northern California, and the Lord said to me, now, this is how much you told me you have. I said, yes. He said, so all of that right now. I said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> nay, nay, mon frere. No. I said, because I've got these things I need to do this week. The Lord says, if it's not big enough to meet your need, then it's seed. He says, so you've got to decide right now, do you trust me with your seed or will you keep reminding me of your need? Now, I'm saying this for this reason. For some reason in church, we don't talk about money. We don't talk about money. We act like if we talk about money with anybody, everybody's going to get offended. I, I don't care. I don't care who gets offended. I don't care if somebody gets mad. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care because Jesus talked about money more than he talked about healing. So apparently, we need to talk about what he talked about because the reason most of us are saved and broke is because we don't do what Jesus did. So we have to talk about it without making it legalism. So what was Jesus' model? Jesus was teaching them the principle that in the kingdom, you have to sow your way out. So for some of us, because we've never been taught this, we keep praying for a breakthrough, waiting for a breakthrough, but nobody has ever taught us the art of tithing and a lifestyle of blessing. You have to live a lifestyle of blessing. What does that mean? You might be in the grocery store and the person in front of you doesn't have enough money to cover their groceries. That's the art of blessing. You simply say, I, you know what, sister, I've been where you are and I'm going to give these $20 to just cover your groceries. The Lord speaks to you and says, your neighbor can't pay their water bill and you just need to walk next door and hand them an envelope and say, I just want to help you with this. It's the art of being a blesser. You cannot live in overflow if you don't practice blessing. So what Jesus shows us over and over is poverty never could land at Jesus' feet because he was a blesser. See, you don't have to be wealthy to live outside of poverty. Because it's not about how much money you have. It's about favor finding you at the right time. Long before I ever had any money in the bank, favor would find me. Didn't have any food in the refrigerator, did not have any way to make it happen, and somebody would knock on my door and say, I don't know why, but I just need to come by and bless you with these foods. Favor found me. So the life of a blesser makes favor follow you. How many of you have experienced times when you didn't have any money, you weren't wealthy, you didn't know how it was going to turn out, but what you needed showed up? All right, that ought to be every believer in the room. What you needed showed up. So what God is teaching us is in the life of the kingdom, First, you live in the land of not enough. 
Then you graduate to the land of enough. Then you live in the land of more than enough. But you have to transition through that scale. You start out with not enough and you just keep sowing. That's why the tithe is so important because what the tithe is about is it's about percentage. Everybody gives your own percentage. It's not about who can give more, just percentage. Now, I love how many, you know, New Testament people now say, I don't believe in the tithe. You don't have to. Jesus said it. It's not about what you believe in. It's about what he said. <laughs> I love how now we think it's all about our opinion. Don't nobody care about your opinion. Your opinion don't change the power of the word. It's about what Jesus said, not what you think. We already touched on that. When your mind fights his principles, you get outside of his word. Woo! I'm talking good whether you happy or not. <laughs> because the principle has power. So now we've got 40 different books out there on, I believe in 20%. I believe it's not about percentage. I don't believe, nobody cares about your history. The word works for everybody. So everybody else's idea has divided the church when God's word would have united the church. And now we're arguing about what works instead of seeing fruit. So the power of the percentage is the percentage has been in existence since God made the earth. How do we know that? Again, I'm going to wrap this up quick. Is this helping anybody? The power of the percentage. The reason God talks about a tithe is because a tithe is one out of many. We understand that. Say that with me. One, one. out of many. So God says the whole forest is yours, but don't touch one tree. Okay. All the nations in the world, I made them. But one nation is mine, Israel, percentage. All the families of the earth can call on my name, but one family belongs to me, Abraham. Percentage, percentage, percentage. So the percentage is what God is teaching us that one out of many creates a holy place where God can show his power. One out of many. Every dollar in your pocketbook is yours. But one out of those $10, God said, if you give it to me, I'll make the other nine do what 10 can't do on their own. That's what he's trying to show you. God says, you got $10. $10 can't keep the roof over your head. But $9 with some favor on it. Ah. God said that $100 can't take care of all your bills, but $90 with some favor on it. I can find a way to get you. See, have you ever looked back at the end of the month and say, I don't know how God paid these bills. I don't know how I made it through. I don't know how we got it, but somehow God. That's what favor does when you obey the principle. So the principle is one out of many. Where did it start? In the garden. God says, everything in the garden is yours, but one tree, don't touch, don't eat. Why? One out of many. If you can learn to give me one out of many, you will learn the power of percentages. That's the kingdom. So in the kingdom, the first thing the Lord says is, I'll give you seed. Now, he doesn't say, I'll give you harvest. He says, I'll give you seed. 
So this is why this is important for this year. This year is about what you do with your seed. I want to say to some of you, if you have not operated correctly with your seed, you're walking with God. I'm not talking about, because many of you, this, is not, this may not be the house where you go regularly or you're connected to other ministries. It, I'm not talking about where you sow your seed. Just sow your seed. And be a blessing to someone. Be a blessing to the poor. Be a blessing to broken people. Be a blessing to unwed mothers. Be a blessing to those who are widows. Be a blessing somewhere. And as you operate in the power of the blessing, sowing into someone, God says, I'm watching your seed. Harvest is in the hands of God. Sowing is in the hands of you. God says, your harvest is promised, but I can't release harvest till I see you sow seed. So God says, I'll give seed to the sower. That's the first promise he makes. What does that mean? Whatever you have, you got seed. I'm going to tell you a quick story, and we're just about done. Are y'all good for about five more minutes? Okay. I remember when I was in Ethiopia, and I was teaching this. See, this has become my lifestyle. I've taught this all over the world. And I remember teaching this in, in Africa for many years as I was traveling from Ethiopia and Kenya, and I was going to Eritrea, and then we would go down to Zimbabwe and Mozambique. I was teaching this. And one of the bishops stood up and he said, this is easy for you to teach. You are an American and you come with money. <laughs> and I laughed. I said, you are silly. He said, what do you mean? I said, I've got no money in my pocket, no money in my bank account. I'm one of them dumb Americans that got on a plane because the Lord said, I ain't got nobody backing me. I said, so all them other Americans you talking about, I said, I ain't one of them. <laughs> I traveled for 17 years with no church support. Before I moved to the desert, I didn't have one church supporting me. God bless DC. DC3 has been phenomenal. Yeah. This is a good house. But I traveled for years. We had no church support. I had a handful of family members that heard God and said, we're going to stand with you. And I went all over the world. And we helped build schools. We helped raise up a hospital. Do y'all know what the Lord has let us do? We have a hospital in Ethiopia. Yeah. <laughs> y'all have no idea what we've done. But that was by the goodness of God because we couldn't get people to sow into us because we didn't have a big name. So when the big guys would come to town and everybody would sow these $5,000 and $50,000 checks, I'd do a meeting and I'm like, if we can get 20 bucks, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just trying to get some popcorn to eat on the plane on the way. Because what I have discovered is people don't discern ministry, they discern commercials. If you build the right commercial, people give. If you're just doing the work, people don't. So I had to learn how to trust God. And I learned how to trust God to the point that I stopped talking about money because we didn't need to. The Lord's been faithful. And I'm not talking about money today to get it because I'm not going to take up an offering. I'm talking about this to help you. I learned then when I got over there, the Lord said, I want you to teach on finances. So the first ministry we did in those nations, we taught five-day conferences on the supernatural power of giving. 
we would have 40 to 50 bishops come from all over Africa, and they would listen to the teaching, and they would say to me, you are a little boy. I was so young. Had a little afro. <laughs> I was wearing these little multicolored vests. You, you remember when they had all the five-colored vests and, and the shirts that had the, the patches of different colors? I was wearing that in Africa. So I'd come out to teach, and I'm wearing seven different colored shirts and multicolored vests. I looked like crayons that threw up on me. <laughs> And I would stand up to teach, and I remember Bishop Morongo, he said, there is nothing you can say to us. He said, look at you, you are a child. <laughs> he says, you look like Sesame Street. <laughs> and I said to him, I dare you to practice what I'm teaching you. I said, I'm going to be here for 42 days. Practice what I'm teaching you for 30 days. If it doesn't work, then come back and tell me I'm a liar in front of the class. I said, because this is the only place where God dares you to trust him. He says, I challenge you. Test me in this. See if it works. I dare you to test God in giving. He stood up because you don't want to do that because if you challenge him, now he got to take the challenge. He said, I will do it. I said, fine, do it. <laughs> I'll never forget this. Oh, my life has been a good life. Oh, y'all sitting up here waiting for stuff. You better come and go somewhere. And I taught on the art of giving, what I'm telling you today. And I said, if what you have is not enough for harvest, it's enough for seed. So the bishop had just started a bee farm, honey farm. He had just gotten in the first honey. He had made the little bit of money he made, he made on that honey. On all the acres he had in that economy, they made close to $200 U.S. on all their honey. He came in the meeting and he said, this is what I'm going to do. And he took the $200 and he threw it in front of me. He said, hey. He says, now let's see what happens. I held up the 200. I said, God, you are not a liar. Now you see this arrogant man in front of you. <laughs> oh, you don't want to play with me because I can play with you. I said, you see this arrogant man in front of you. He's testing your word. Now, God, prove yourself. And I took the money and threw it back down in front of him. <laughs> then I told one of the people, get that money before he leaves. Make sure you... <laughs> but I ain't stupid. <laughs> I said, all that was for show. Put that money in my bag. Get that money back. <laughs> you know, some of y'all cut your own throat. No, take the blessing before you act crazy. Take the blessing. I mean, come on now. Hit your chest twice, but make sure you got the check in your pocket. And so, <laughs> 32 days later, the bishop comes back. We have all this recorded. I've got, I found all these. Well, I'm telling you this because I found all these VHS tapes. I've been in the house so long, I'm digging through boxes. 
I found VHS tapes. I, I got this little VHS thing that turns it into DVRs. So I'm looking at it and I'm standing there wide as a sofa <laughs> with a little fro on my head with all these multicolors on it. I'm throwing money down. I said, ooh, that brother talking like he crazy. <laughs> 32 days later, he came back and this is what he said. He said, it works. I said, how do you know it works? He said, that money was all the money we had. He said, but what we were believing God for was we need 65 acres of land to build a school. And the city wouldn't give us the land. He said, once we released the money, we said, now God, what we're believing for is the land. We don't need money, we need land. So we call that the seed for the land. I'll give seed to the sower. He didn't say money. I'll give seed. Seed is for a harvest. Some of you are so focused on dollars, you keep missing your harvest. I'll give seed to the sower. So he said, that was our seed for the acres we need. 31 days later, remember this is on the 32nd day, 31 days later, they get a phone call. It's the city. They go in to meet with the city. And the city says, listen, we know you want to buy this land. We don't want to sell you the land. But here's what we'll do. If you promise to teach English as a language in your school so we can train all the young people for business, we'll let you build the school, a church, and a medical facility, and we'll let you do it on the land you want for a 99-year lease. And he said, how much is the 99-year lease? They said to the bishop, $100 U.S. So the land they were trying to buy for thousands and thousands, they were now given this land for 100 U.S. He signed the contract, brought the contract in the room in front of us. They've now built the school, the training center, and it's been going now. This was years ago. It's been going now for 16 years. Now, I'll give seed, seed to the sower. This is the year where the Lord says, I'll give seed, but you've got to sow your seed. You've got to let some stuff out of your hand. You've got to start, and seed ain't seed till you name it. You got to start declaring what you believe in God for. Walk around that house you believe in God for. Walk around that property. Declare around your children. Speak over the city. What are you believing God for? This is the year where you've got to open your mouth and declare some stuff. And then put your seed where your mouth is. The second one, Galatians 3, 5. We're going to do all this in two minutes because I've closed my Bible. We're going to read it to you. Galatians 3, 5, this now is where God says he will minister to you the Spirit. So what's the second thing God says he will minister this year? The Spirit. This is going to be a year of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This year, God is going to minister to his people the Spirit. He says, I'm going to minister, not you. It's not about what you can get each other to receive. This is when God shows up and dumps, pours on you 
unlocks the rivers of heaven. He baptizes with the Holy Ghost and fire. This year, God says it's time for heaven to minister again the Spirit. The third thing, Colossians 2.19. What does Colossians 2.19 says? It says that even as the head, so shall he also nourish or give nourishment to the body. So what is the Lord pouring out this year? Life to the body of Christ. Life to the body. Nourishment to the body. That word nourishment means everything you need to be healthy. This is a year where I believe God is going to heal us of our schisms and our divisions and our issues. All of these little things where we fight each other. God says, I have to pour life where the head is healthy, so now the body must be healthy. This year, this year we're going to begin to have gatherings, not just here in this valley, but across this nation of denominations and different groups that have never spent time together. And we're going to be praying together and worshiping together and linking hands to see cities touched and villages change and neighborhoods set on fire, to see schools surrounded by prayer, to see the move of God pour out. This year is the year where God is healing schisms. So do not be guilty of bringing division when God is bringing unity. God wants to heal this year. He wants to heal his body. The fourth thing that he says he will minister, this is where you get involved. The only place where we are called to do the ministry is 2 Peter 1.5. 2 Peter 1.5. 2 Peter 1.5 is incredible because it just says this. It says, and add to your faith virtue. That whole passage is about what you now have to do. That word add is the same Greek word for minister. To see what's lacking and fulfill it so it becomes healthy. So what does it start out? It says, now this year must be the year where you begin to weigh your faith. Wherever your faith is not strong, he says the first thing you got to add to your faith is, I love that word virtue, but the word virtue means valor, valor. One interpretation of valor is the word manliness. What is manliness? Some chutzpah, some guts, some guts, some internal fortitude. The first thing you got to add to your faith is the ability not to quit. This year, you've got to learn how not to quit. This year, you've got to add to your faith some guts. The ability to stand. Stop quitting. Stop complaining. Stop running. Add some guts to your faith. Stand flat-footed in the middle of your storm and say, you're not going to have my house. You're not going to have my kids. You're not going to have my peace. I'm not apologizing anymore. I'm not begging you anymore. I'm going to stand right here till every devil gets up out of my house. But I got some guts in me. I got some strength. I got some valor. I got some power on the inside, and I'm not backing up. This year, God needs, I just got to say it like this. We need some saints that ain't cowards. I'm sick of coward saints. 
I'm sick of believers who apologize for the Holy Ghost, apologize for the Word. We bow our head and run every time somebody sneezes. Where are the saints that got some guts? I mean, for lack of a better phrase, it's time for the church to grow a pair. I know you don't like it, but I meant what I said. So from faith to valor, from valor to right application. That word for knowledge means right application. Right application. And before anybody comes after service and want to correct me, read the rest of your Bible because what I said was nice compared to some of the stuff the Bible says. So right application. After we get some guts, we got to learn how to apply the word correctly. We've been misapplying the word. After right application, self-control. Self-control. After self-control, cheerful endurance. Cheerful. That word patience means cheerful endurance. Can you endure with a smile on your face? From cheerful endurance to piety or holiness. Holiness. After holiness, this is what I'm going to end with. After holiness, fraternal affection. What does that mean? Brotherhood. Good community. Blessing each other. After we learn to add some strength to our faith and we learn to walk righteously and we learn to live in holiness, the Bible says now all that holiness ought to produce good friendships. You ought to be able to love each other. If you're that holy, why can't you get along with each other? You got that much faith and can't smile at nobody? And after all of that benevolence, what is benevolence? It goes back to where we started, benevolence. That word benevolence is also the word for philanthropy, the ability to bless others. This is a unique year. I still ain't got into all the prophetic stuff. We just going to have to do it later on. <laughs> but this is going to be a unique year because it's the year where God is calling us to maturity, to blessing, to unity. Can we walk together in the spirit of God and build a community that looks like Jesus, that's healthy, where we honor each other and where we choose each other's needs above our own? the simplicity of the New Testament church seen among us again. It's going to be a good year. It's going to be a unique year. And it's going to be a year of prophetic fulfillment. This nation is going to see a glorious move of God. Now let me say this, and then we got to go eat. Amen, Amen mother. I'm with you, mama. Don't get caught up in politics this year. Don't get caught up in noise. Much of what you are focused on right now, the people you're arguing over now aren't even going to be in the race. I want you to hear me clearly. And if some of you go back to the last five, six years of prophetic words, you'll find what the Lord has spoken to us has come to pass pretty clearly. So I want to say to you clearly, do not start arguing about the people who right now everybody's arguing about. The people you're arguing about now will not even be in the presidential race. I can see it in your eyes. Y'all like what? I said exactly what I'm saying. 
Probably on this Wednesday, we'll get into the rest of that, and we're going to give you some specifics of what the Lord said. But the Lord told me to say to his people, don't get caught up in the foolishness. The people you're fighting about now won't even be in the race. It's a distraction. It's a distraction. Second, pray. God is going to raise up a righteous man, and it will be a man that you have known before, and that righteous man is going to be in the race, and that righteous man is going to be a voice of salvation to this nation. And several years ago, the Lord called him the bishop that would arise. Some of you may remember that. Some of you know who that is. God is going to raise up a man who we didn't even know he was fighting behind the scenes to bring righteousness, but much of that has been made known to the public. God is going to raise a righteous man up. And it's going to be after everybody else has fought themselves out of the race. So don't get caught up in the noise. Second, there's going to be two major shifts to this economy. So you need to be able to learn now how to sow in the time of crisis because when the economy shakes, if you don't know how to lean on God, you're going to get so fearful that you're going to listen to whatever people tell you. The nation isn't going down. It's just going to be shaken. And in the midst of shaking, God is going to raise up his people. Third, many of the voices you've known in ministry will not be around in two years. So you've got to now learn to hear clearly what God is saying. Otherwise, you're going to lose hope because your favorites are going to disappear. And if you can't hear the Holy Ghost, you're going to lose heart because you're going to follow the people who God isn't talking to anymore. It's a terrible thing to follow people God has fired. So make sure you're following the current voice of God, not what used to be the voice of God. And the last thing, love will help you in any situation. If you don't know what to do, just keep loving people. All right, let's stand together. I've held you longer than I meant to. I hope you were blessed today. Were you blessed? Yeah. All right. Would you just grab somebody's hand? Pastor Ted, would you come, sir? Just grab somebody's hand. Father, we thank you for the privilege of your word. We thank you for the beauty of being in your presence. We honor you for everything you did in 2022. But we say with great expectation, let 2023 be the greatest year of our lives. Let our ears be open. Let our eyes be clear. Let our hearts be free. Let us walk in your will and in your word. Let us do what is pleasing in your sight. We want to be pleasing to you, Papa. We want your will to be done and your kingdom to come in us. Now, Lord, bless this house. Bless every house in this valley. Bless the churches and the ministries all across the Coachella Valley. May the Lord God breathe in every church and every ministry. May God expand the walls, lengthen the tent pegs. May he cause souls to be saved, minds to be changed, families to be restored, marriages to be healed, ministries to be reignited. May the will of God be done without limit and without